project that out a little bit for you. I may not be able to speak afterwards, but we'll be, we'll be good to go for now. I love those two songs, man, that Jesus is our firm foundation, right? Even if the walls may be crumbling down around us, Jesus is our firm foundation. And we can be sure that that foundation will never crumble. That he is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. And even when we can't see it, he is working. And we can hold on to that promise, knowing that he is always there. And he will never let us down. Amen? Amen. I don't know if you have felt that in your life, but I have definitely felt that in my life. At times when I have felt, whoa, man, you, if you were standing up here, and saw the amount of heads that shot up just then. That was good. Now that I have your attention, man, I, and I didn't even realize how many faces weren't looking at me, to be honest. But now I know I'm not too much to look at, but I am loud now. So at least I can get your attention that way. Well, let me read a few things for you here. I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Whether I should be better, I cannot tell. How awfully forbade I shall not. That was Abraham Lincoln. To a letter he wrote to John Stewart in 1841. Probably doesn't sound like the Abraham Lincoln that we picture in our minds or the stories that we read in our history books. But Abraham Lincoln, at one time in his life, was a very, very miserable and depressed man. There's another. If that absence of feeling, it's that absence of feeling. And it's even the absence of hope that you can ever feel better. It's so difficult to describe to someone who's never been there because it's not sadness. Sadness is not a bad thing to cry and to feel. But it's that cold absence of feeling. That really hollowed out feeling. That's J.K. Rowling. Some of you may know her as the author of the Harry Potter series. And that feeling there was actually what she based the Dementors in her books off of. That feeling, that depressed feeling. After every Olympics, I fell into a major state of depression. And after 2012, that was probably the hardest fall for me. I didn't want to be in the sport anymore. A year and a half, two years after that, I didn't even want to be alive anymore. It's Michael Phelps, 23-time gold medal Olympic swimmer. Major depressive disorder 
is the leading cause of disability in the U.S. for people between the ages of 15 and 44. It affects more than 17.3 million American adults. About 7.1% of the U.S. population over the age of 18 is affected by depression. Adolescents between the ages of 12 and 17 had the highest rate of major depressive episodes at 14%, followed by young adults between 18 and 25 at 13%. Severe depression among college students has risen from 9.4% in 2013 to 21% in 2018. 10 to 20% of new mothers experience clinical postpartum depression. More than 264 million people worldwide deal with depression. Close to 800,000 people a year worldwide will commit suicide each year. Close to 7% of men diagnosed with depression will take their own life. 7% of men diagnosed with depression will take their own life. As if all this information was not bad enough, none of these stats include the year 2020, where every single one of these stats increased. Every one of them. The modern day Great Depression it's not happening just in the economy. It's happening in the lives of the people all around you. It's happening in the hearts and the minds of millions of people all around us. And many may be thinking, well, you know, that's, that's the world, right? That's not the church. That's not Christians. Christians don't experience depression or deal with depressions. Christians... Christians can't experience depression, right? They have joy, right? My heart shudders within me. Terrors of death sweep over me. Fear and trembling grip me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, if only I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and find rest. That's the man after God's own heart, David, in Psalms. There's David again. Insults have broken my heart and I am in despair. I waited for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found no one. What does that sound like to you? The man after God's own heart. We don't want you to be completely unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. And we even despaired of life itself. We even despaired of life itself. That's Paul. The Paul. In 1 Corinthians. I've had enough. Lord, take my life. Take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors. And that's Elijah. In 1 Kings. And that's where we're going to be today. In 1 Kings. So can Christians experience depression? Well, just reading a few verses out of the Bible here. 
Sounds like it to me. Looking around me at the, the church today, it looks like it to me. And looking at my life and my past, I can be certain that Christians can and do experience depression. So today, we're going to look at when Christians face depressions. When Christians face depressions. I know today that many of us, this may be a very sensitive subject. I'm aware of that. This may be a very sensitive subject from some of you. Some of you may be right now in the middle of the worst depression you've ever had. I am aware of that. I am sensitive to that. I know that. And many of us may have grown up in church or been involved in church culture that said it is, if you just have enough faith, all your troubles will go away. If you're depressed, all that means is that you're not trusting Jesus enough. If you're sad, well, just have more faith. Some of us have heard those things. Some of us may have even said those things. And here's what happens then. We start to play this game with ourselves where we believe the people in the Bible were sort of different than us. But we just read they're, they're not. Right? But if we do struggle with things like depression, if we struggle with things like suicidal thoughts, if we walk through or are walking through currently the valley of the shadow of death, the church then becomes an unsafe place to talk about it. The place where we should find hope, we can't. Because we're unwilling to share the deepest parts of our pain and the deepest parts of ourselves. It breaks my heart to know that somehow, some way, over the course of time, the church has become an unsafe place to say, I'm not okay. I read an article recently where the author wrote, I joined a Bible study group at church. The leader was an older, well-respected, long-time member of the church. And when the topic of depression came up, her response was, if you are truly a Christian, you should never be depressed. You have no need for antidepressants. You have Jesus. And with comments and attitudes like that, it's any wonder we put on our church mask on Sunday mornings. And not just talking about these, right? It's no wonder that many come to church and put on a different type of mask out of fear of what's going to be said about them, about what they're feeling, about what they're going through, and the questions people may ask about their faith. So we end up keeping secrets, fearing we'll be judged or not good enough, or even called not a real Christian. Some think that in order to follow Jesus, you have to have it all together. But all throughout scriptures, we can see people who are faithful followers of God struggling with overwhelming depression. We see people all throughout the scriptures who see God move mightily and then go, God, I don't even want to live anymore. The people that God used to write the Bible to write the Old Testament and the New Testament. This thing was, not thing, whew, this word of God was not written by perfect people. This word of God was written by people who had problems, who had 
difficulties, who had struggles, and many who faced times of depression. So I want you to, I want you to hear me clearly as I can say it this morning. If you're here today and you struggle with anxiety, if you've wrestled through depression, if you've even had thoughts of taking your own life, I want you to know that we see you. That we see you. That this is a safe place for you. And we are here for you. We love you. You do not have to have it all together to be here because we don't have it all together. It's okay to not be okay. I know for some of you it may have been a struggle just to get out of bed this morning, to get dressed this morning, to put one foot out in front of the other, to walk to your vehicle and drive here this morning, to decide that you're going to get up and go after it again. For some of you, that may have been a struggle this morning. I know some of you, walking in the doors of a church may be a struggle. Things that have been said to you in church are done to you in church may raise your anxiety just to even be here. Maybe the whole time you're here, your heart is racing fast. We see you. We're proud of you for being here this morning. We love you. We care about you. It's a safe place to not be okay. And I know that this is a really long introduction. But with a topic like this, there's a couple of more things I must say first. In talking about depression today, I'm not going to be telling you that if you just follow these three simple steps, you'll be cured. I'm not telling you that if you just do these things right here, everything in your life will be okay. I'm not. That's not the point of today's sermon. That's not the point of my speaking today. I realize that there are many types of depression. I realize there's many types of anxieties and many different levels of depression. I'm not saying all depression is the same and all depression is is just sadness. I'm not saying that. There's no simple answer for depression. There's no simple this is why. It's way more complicated than that. But being reminded of biblical truths is necessary. But it does not mean you need to stop seeing a counselor. It doesn't mean you need to stop taking medication if you need to take medication. Those things are great. Those things need to be continued. You should have no shame in doing those things. No shame at all. God uses those things to help you. As a matter of fact, I have seen a Christian counselor before on multiple occasions myself. As a matter of fact, just to be real with you, real, real with you for a second, when I was in college, I was actually on antidepressants for a while. So the guy up here speaking to you today has seen a counselor. The one talking to you about depression today has gone through that. 
and was on medication for that in college. God uses those things. Don't be ashamed if that's where you are today. Those things are okay. I'm not telling you just be happy and stop taking the medication. I'm not telling you to suck it up and stop seeing the counselor. You're just sad. Be happy. I'm not saying that today. My purpose today is not to diagnose the different types of depression or to provide us one solution to all of them. Today, I'm simply going to be reminding us of someone in the Bible who also dealt with depression and the biblical lessons we can learn from that. You can be relieved by the fact that we are walking along a path with which others have traveled before. So today, when Christians face depression, if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings 19. If not, it'll be right here up on the screen. And let's start to read 1 Kings 19. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. So the first thing we're going to look at today is the weakness of Elijah. And once again, hear me when I say this, I'm not saying that because Elijah was depressed, he was a very weak man. Getting depressed doesn't mean that you are just less of a man or less of a woman. Being depressed doesn't mean that you're just a weak human being. How could you let yourself be depressed? I'm not saying that when I say the weakness of Elijah. Elijah was a strong prophet of God, but like all of us, he did have a weakness. Struggling with depression does not mean you are weak. It does not mean that everything about you is weak, and if you could just be stronger, you would be okay. Depression does not mean you are a weak individual. It simply means you have a weakness. Every single one of us have a weakness. For Elijah, in this moment, his weakness was despair and depression. There are several observational truths we're going to make real quick about depression by looking at the life of Elijah. First, we're going to see how depression often comes after big achievements. After big achievements. We're in 1 Kings 19, but the chapter right before, Elijah had just won a great victory over Baal before all of Israel. Baal, the false god. Elijah had gone to the biggest venue of his day. It's like the Madison Square Garden of his day. And challenged Baal to a public duel. And his victory was epic. 
It was like watching an old WWF wrestling match, right? And you know that I loved wrestling. I'm named after a wrestler. I've said that before. You've heard me say that before. But it's like watching those old wrestling promos, right? There was smack talk. There was sarcasm. He was outnumbered 450 to 1. It was 450 prophets of Baal. And there's one, old Elijah, prophet of God. But Elijah had God on his side. And God sent down fire from heaven. At the end of the day, they did not just squeak out a victory. The victory was dominant. The whole crowd was on their face chanting, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. What a moment for Elijah. There were probably t-shirt cannons, fireworks, confetti was falling down everywhere. You can imagine an interviewer coming up to Elijah saying, Elijah, you just defeated all the prophets of Baal. What are you going to do now? Elijah, I'm going to Disney World, right? But Elijah wasn't going to Disney World. He wasn't going to the happiest place on earth after this. Actually, just a few verses later here, we can see how Elijah's victory is followed by him wishing he was dead. His epic victory was almost immediately followed by this depression. Has it ever been that way for you? Has for me. Some of the times where I've struggled the most came right after times where I felt the best. Maybe it's been that way for you. Maybe you were feeling great, you were having some success, but then life took a turn you were not expecting. The gut punch from life came out of nowhere and it knocks you to your knees. Maybe it was a marriage that fell apart. Maybe the business tanked. Maybe the kids didn't follow Jesus. Maybe your mother or father died. Maybe it was the loss of a child. Maybe it was a pandemic. Whatever it may have been, it's now left you wondering, God, where are you? Did I do something wrong? Are you even there? It's caused you to sink lower and lower into your depression. For Elijah, right after the big event, Jezebel put a hit out on him. She said, Elijah, I'm going to do exactly to you what you did to the prophets of Baal. That was the gut punch that sent Elijah running. That was the trigger it took to send Elijah into depression. Even after defeating 450 prophets of Baal, all it took was one word from one person, one threat for that depression to seep in. And often it's like that for us. Maybe it's not a huge event that sends us on a downward spiral, but maybe it's just a single word from someone else. A word that we dwell on over and over in our minds. We can't seem to get out of our minds. Words that almost seem to take us captive. Words have power and have helped to send many a great servant of God into a pit of despair. Did for Elijah. Next thing we'd see about Elijah's depression is that depression often leads us or drives us to isolation. Depression often drives us to isolation. 
Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, and he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He left his servant there, went on a day's journey into the wilderness by himself. Elijah pushed one of his best friends, his servant, away. This is one thing we should not do during depression, but it's something that we often do. Maybe we don't want to burden others. Maybe Elijah didn't want to burden his servant. Maybe you don't want to bother others. We don't want to put our problems on someone else, or maybe we don't want to be hurt again by other people. Maybe we can't bear to face the words and the criticisms again. Or maybe we are just embarrassed that we feel this way and we try to hide it. Whatever reason, depression often drives us to push everyone else away. In his isolation, Elijah went and sat down under a broom tree or a juniper bush, some translations say. And why does Elijah do this? Many of us may start to lose Elijah here. Maybe we're understanding his attitude on Mount Carmel, right? Carmel, 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 Carmel. Man, Mississippi really makes it difficult. The Mississippi accent, man, it's tough for some of these. Okay, moving on. But anyway, maybe we understand his attitude upon the mountaintop. We comprehend his defeating of the prophets. And maybe we relate to his running from a death threat. But we may not understand how Elijah got from there to here. We may not fully understand how Elijah could go from the top of the mountain to isolation under a tree. But for those of us who've been under that tree ourselves, we can be comforted by the fact that Elijah sat there as well. The experience of one saint can be comforting and instructive to others. So like many of us in depression, Elijah isolated himself from his closest friends, from everyone, and he sat down by himself. Often in our depression, what we need the most is just for someone to be willing to be there with us. Someone who won't judge us. Someone who won't try and fix us. But someone who will just be there. See, even though we may be in a depressed state, we need people. That same depressed state causes us to push those same people away. And depression drives us to isolation. And then the depression often tells us we are alone. So now we're isolated and we're alone. And there's a difference between the two. There's a difference between isolating yourself and feeling alone. Here, Elijah wasn't just feeling alone because no one was immediately around him, but he felt alone because he felt as if there was no one in the entire world that was with him. There was no one in the entire world that was for him. So look a little further there. It says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant tore down your altar, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they are looking for me to take my life. You may have armies, God, but I have no one. 
I'm completely alone. There's no one left. It is just me. God, no one cares. I have no friends. I have no one who understands what I'm going through. No one wants to understand what I'm going through. No one who could really be for me. No one who could really love me. I am alone and no one is coming to help. No one cares if I live or if I die. Which leads to the next lesson. Depression often makes us want to die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Charles Spurgeon once said that even the best of men are still men at best. So even though Elijah put on a pedestal in the Old Testament, was the best of men, he was still a man at best. No matter what kind of spiritual victories Elijah had, he was still just a man and was still subject to the feelings and emotions and despair that comes with that. Elijah was this great prophet, but Elijah wanted to die. Isolation, being completely alone, feeling as if there is no way out, feeling as if things will never get any better can lead to this type of thinking. And some of you may be able to relate here. Some in the room or maybe watching online may have had a point in their past or a point right now where your burdens and your pains seem too much and you just want to die. Some may have even thought about ending their life themselves. I know it's not an easy thing to talk about. But if we're looking at these statistics correctly, odds are there's at least one, two in this room who have had thoughts at some point in their life, whether it be years ago or whether it be yesterday, of taking their own life. of ending it all. Listen to me. You are not alone. You are not the only one who has felt those feelings. I can guarantee you, you are not the only one in this room who has had those thoughts. Do not give up. Don't listen to that voice in your head you are loved. And listen, having those thoughts does not mean you are not a child of God. Despite these feelings that Elijah had, nobody doubted whether Elijah was a child of God. Even though he said, God, just take my life, no one doubted if he really loved God or followed God. No one questions the fact that God loved Elijah even when he sat wanting to die under the tree. The Lord did not forsake Elijah, and he will not forsake you. You are loved. Help is there, and it comes in the form of the tenderness of God and the truth of God. And first, let's look at the tenderness of God. Here is where Elijah's help came from. 
right? We learned these things. We looked, dove in. Okay, look, here's, here's four things we can see about Elijah's depression. Here's four things we can learn about depression. Just looking at these things, four truths that even we face today. But how did God respond to that? What did God do when God showed Elijah his tenderness? In his tenderness, God ministers to Elijah physically and psychologically. As Christians, I believe it would do us well here to watch how God deals with Elijah. So we can better minister to those who are dealing with the same thing. So maybe you've never felt depressed. And maybe you started to zone out a little bit and sort of like, eh, click. I'm going to be thinking about something else, what I'm going to eat for lunch, what I'm going to do after this, what I'm going to do this week. Depression, that doesn't involve me. I can tune this one out. Well, tune in for a little bit. Because what we're going to be looking at over the next few points here is what God did. And these are also lessons we can learn about what we can do. So maybe you've never felt depressed, but I can guarantee you, you have a family member, a loved one, a friend, a co-worker, an acquaintance, somebody, maybe somebody sitting on the same row as you today who has dealt with depression. And maybe you've never done anything or asked anything because you don't know what to do. Well, let's look what God did. Let's learn from that. And let's see what we can do to help our brothers and our sisters who are struggling. And not just give up. And not just say, oh, they'll figure it out. Let's see what God did. Like an apprentice watching a master craftsman, let's watch and be eager to see how God, the master of art, master of comfort and healing, treats Elijah here. God let Elijah rest. Let him rest. First thing that God did with Elijah was a very simple thing. He let him rest. Then he lay down and slept under a broom tree, verse 5 says. There's this poor prophet down in the dumps. He wants to die, but the Lord lets him sleep instead. And he was sleeping good because it took an angel to wake him up. He was sleeping real good. And then he woke up and soon fell asleep again. Took a second nap. Two naps in the same day. Sounds like a good day. <laughs> Taking two naps. God let him do it. Second time, woke him up. Rest was the one thing that Elijah needed most. So God gave his servant Elijah rest. Depression can be exhausting. Depression is exhausting. The only thing more exhausting than depression is pretending like you're not depressed. There's power in a good nap. The most godly thing you can do sometimes is take a nap. Amen. Maybe this afternoon. Not right now, though. I'm not saying take a nap right now, right? At least wait until you get, get out of the doors, right? Some of you, I don't know, maybe you're there. You know what, fine, I'm not going to wake you. Let the angel wake you up. Um, but sometimes, man, one of the most amazing things you can do, one of the most spiritual things you could do is just take a nap. 
Some people seem to think that when you are serving the Lord, you should not rest. You should always be busy. You should always be at work, always fulfilling this engagement and that engagement. That's good things, very good things. But we do not serve a hard master. We do not serve a hard master. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Fellow Christians can often be thoughtless and unkind, but God never is. So he gave Elijah rest, the sleep that he needed in that moment. Sometimes we just need to be quiet and let someone sleep. Right? Hard to sleep if someone's talking to me the whole time. Just, just give me, let me sleep. Let me take a nap. Second thing, God fed Elijah. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones with a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. An angel cooked him some food. Angels in the Bible are not just roaming around here and there and then come back to God saying, you are never going to believe what I did today. I baked someone some bread. You're never going to believe it, God. It was crazy. No. Angels are always on an assignment. So this angel was sent to Elijah to take care of him. The angel touched Elijah, Elijah, makes him some food, lets him sleep some more, and then feeds him again. Both my grandmother... Both of my grandmothers, really. One we called Mama, good Mississippi. Mama and other was Nanny. My Mama and my Nanny were both really gifted in this area. Really gifted in this area. If someone was going through a tough time or was sick, or they had a death in the family, or maybe she just saw them at church and they didn't look like everything was okay, my mama was going to show up at their house that week, knocking on their door. Say, hey, I just want to drop off some food for you. Not staying to talk, just want to drop off some food. Here you go. And it wasn't just like a plate of food, right? It was enough food to last for several days, right? So, and it wasn't just any old food, right? Some people, I mean, I'm grateful for food. But some people, they may fix you some food and you're like, okay, is this a blessing or a curse, right? No, no, okay. Listen, my mama's food wasn't that way, right? It was a blessing every time. Homemade, the stuff that took all day to make. Stuff that she had to get up early in the morning and start preparing to have it there by dinner time. She would drop it off to them just to say, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Here's some food. Always the homemade stuff, always the good stuff, and always made with love. Actually, some, <coughs> Carrie, in our church are getting ready to start a ministry like this. You may have seen it in your bulletin. Mark will probably announce it in a little bit at the end. But a ministry where we go out and provide food for church members who are struggling, who may have been sick or in the hospital or had a death in the family or having a baby. We have a lot of those around right now. Just to say, hey, we love you. Here's some food. Let's minister to you a little bit. Let's take care of you a little bit. You're cared for. You're loved. 
That's what God did here. Fed Elijah. I don't know how long it takes to bake bread over hot stones, as with Elijah here, but I can guarantee you that it was good. I can guarantee you that it was made with love. And notice what the angel first says to Elijah. Get up and eat. Not many words here, but just a few words from an angel are better than a great many words from some other people. If you and I were there, we would have probably said way too much. If we're honest, when we are in these situations, quite often, we just can't seem to keep our mouth shut. We feel as though we have to say something, or how else will they know what God wants to say to them? But God doesn't just speak through our mouths. God doesn't just speak through our mouths. Sometimes God speaks through the food that we make. Sometimes God speaks through a loaf of bread. The love we share. Instead of lengthy dialogue, how about Elijah should just, you know, the angel didn't say, hey, how about Elijah, just, just feel better, right? And had a good dialogue with him. Just, hey, feel better, all right? You're okay, you're okay. Get up, get up, you're fine, you're fine. Yeah, be happy. No. Hey, get up and eat. Get up and eat. God fed him, let him sleep some more. This was the best way of caring for him. There is many a hungry and tired child of God today who needs food and rest more than anything else. Yes, the spirit needs to be fed. Yes, absolutely. But the body needs to be fed as well. These may be the first things that need to happen to really help a depressed servant of God. We simply let them rest, bring them a meal, and sit with them in silence while they eat. I also need to point out that the translation I'm using today, the Christian Standard Bible here, translates this as a loaf of bread. But if you're using another translation, or if you know another translation, there's many translators and translations who don't say bread here. They say cake. Cake instead of bread. I think I like that better. I mean, believe it or not, I'm not a huge fan of sweets, but sometimes we just need a cake in our sadness. Or a tub of ice cream. Yeah. And you know what? I believe Elijah probably ate the entire thing by himself. I don't know how big it was. I don't know how big the cake was. Probably ate the whole thing by himself because the strength from that cake helped him be able to walk for 40 days after that. Protein cake. And guess what? No one in the story judged him for eating the whole thing either. Just saying. So if I bring you a cake, if I bring you some ice cream, and you want to eat the whole thing, no judgments from me. You just go right ahead. You go right ahead and eat that whole cake. Sometimes you just need to do that. So after God has let Elijah rest and fed Elijah, we can see that God now listens to Elijah. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. 
And then the same dialogue happens again a few verses later. God asks him the same question. Elijah gives the exact same answer. What are you doing here, Elijah? And whenever God asks a question, it's not to seek information. Kind of like in a garden. Where are you guys? Garden of Eden. He was looking for Adam. He wasn't really looking. He knew where they were, right? God asks a question. It's not because he's seeking the information. He already knows. He was giving Elijah a chance to express his own feelings. And he listened. Twice. Psalms are filled with people venting to God. Being godly does not mean pretending your emotions are not there. Now, not every emotion is legitimate. But sometimes you cannot correct the source of the emotion if you don't get out what you're feeling. This could mean writing out your feelings, like David. Writing out your emotions. Probably not typing them out on Facebook, but writing them out somewhere. By a journal. Write what you are feeling. Or as in this case, maybe you just need to talk and have someone listen. Notice what I mentioned earlier, how God let Elijah tell his story, express his emotion. Twice is not only refreshing just to be able to let it all out, even if no one hears it but God. If no human ear ever hears it, God is listening and is a relief to unburden your heart. Tell it to God. Just like with Elijah, he is ready to listen to you. As Christ followers, we can learn a lot about the tenderness of God here. We can learn a lot from the way that God lets Elijah sleep, the way he feeds Elijah, the way he listens to Elijah. We gladly leap into the mission field, cook meals for the destitute, embrace the grieving. But when depression strikes, misconceptions can deteriorate this tender spirit of compassion. At best, we practice silence and avoidance. At worst, we blame the sufferer and disregard the depressed as too lax in faith to pull themselves from the depths. The call to love our neighbors is clear. Unfortunately, misconceptions about depression seep into the church, tainting our words. While the Bible urges us to open our arms to those crushed in spirit, too often sufferers of depression find the church to be a home of ridicule rather than truth and love. That's not the type of church we want to be. But in their defense, maybe you've never had depression. Maybe you've never done anything to help the depressed because you don't know how. Maybe you're scared. You will do or say something that's wrong. Or what you are doing won't make a difference. Maybe you think, I can't cure this sadness, so I will do nothing. When you help someone who's recently been in the hospital, do you expect your cake to heal them? If you do, bring me some of that cake. Maybe we just need to think of it differently. We're not trying to heal someone who is depressed. We're not trying to even make them feel better. Maybe do it just so they know you are there. Just so they know that someone cares. Let them rest, feed them, listen to them, love them. These are the things that God did with Elijah here. And the things we are called to do as well. So you want to sign up to help feed some people? Talk to Carrie. There's plenty of people who are hurting, 
who've lost a loved one, who have surgeries or have babies, just drop off some food and listen for a minute. Or drop off some food and leave so they can rest. Next, once the physical needs of Elijah are met, quickly, man, I'm going, I always go way too long. I am so sorry. I talk slow. It's the Mississippi in me. I'm sorry. I blame Mississippi a lot. I love Mississippi. But anyway, let's look at the truth of God. Truth of God. The first truth is you are not alone. You are not alone. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind was not, the, the, after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. It's important to note here that Elijah was at Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb's other name was Mount what? Sinai. I heard somebody say it over there. You can have a piece of candy after this. Mount Sinai. It was on this mountain that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, where God made a covenant with Israel, where God descended in thunder and earthquakes. And Elijah knew these stories. Back then, God was in the fire. God was in the thunder. God was in the earthquake. On this mountain, Elijah knew this. In fact, these things are frequent images of God's presence. But now the Lord was not in those things. But he was with Elijah. And he spoke to him in a small, low whisper. When someone whispers, it is intimate. They are close. God was not far off from Elijah. He was right there with him. When I am depressed, I may feel alone, but I can know I am not. I may feel like all hope is lost, like everything is out of control, but it is not. God is there, and God is in control. When you are in isolation, when you feel completely alone, God is still there. And notice in this story, it was not just God who was with Elijah. There was another 7,000. If you read later in the chapter, there's 7,000 thousand people. God was not, Elijah was not alone. God was with him. And even though he felt no one else on earth was with him, God rose up 7,000 people who were with Elijah. That's a lot of cake. 7,000 people who are with Elijah. But this is how depression works, right? It often convinces us that things that are not true. You are not alone. The cross and the empty tomb prove that. God is right by your side. He hasn't run away from you because it's too messy. He's not shaming you. He is right there with you, whispering to you that you are loved. You are cared for. You are not alone. And not only is God with you, we are with you. We love you. We are here for you. We are here to listen, to bake you a cake and not judge you if you eat the whole thing. You are not alone. That's a big truth. God is always with you. Secondly, real quick, you have a purpose. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came in the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint, oh man, here comes Mississippi out, Hazel as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elijah, son of Shaphat from Abel as prophet in, you pla in your place. 
I'm telling you, it's hard to pronounce those things, but that's okay. Uh, that's not important. You're good. I'm good. We're fine. God showed Eliza that he had more work to do. God was not done with him. Elijah still had a purpose. Elijah wanted to die and end it all. But God still had a purpose for him. God still wanted to use him. God sent him off to be about his master's business again. God sent Elijah back out to give the word of God, to anoint rulers and to train up more men of God. God still had work to do through Elijah. He had not given up. God still had a purpose for him. Listen to me. Even in the middle of your darkest days, God still has a purpose for you. He is not done with you. He has not given up on you. Like Elijah, all of us have the job and purpose to share the word of God. But unlike Elijah, we have Jesus Christ. We have the good news to share. We have the news of the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ to share. We have the good news. So yeah, you have a purpose. There may be somebody specifically set out to hear the gospel from you. You have a purpose. He's the Savior that laid down his life for you. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the one who God rose from the grave and ascended into heaven where he now stands as king, a king who knows your name, a king who is not afraid to get down in your mess, to sit beside you and to listen, to comfort you and to bake you a cake. He cares for you. You are not alone. Don't drive yourself to isolation. Don't end it all. God is with you. God is for you. And you have a purpose. In the eyes of many people, including Christians, depression means cowards, faithless, bad attitude. But God shows us, even in the middle of our deepest, darkest depression, you are loved. There's no pit so deep and so dark that God is not deeper still. There's none of life's messes that are so dirty that Jesus is not willing to reach you in. If you would, just close your eyes for me. Let's pray real quick. I'm sorry I kept you a little long. I do this every single time. You know... Forgive me. Once a quarter, you're going to stay long because Tully's preaching. I'm sorry. But listen, I, I don't know your heart today. I don't know everything you're going through. But I know what I've been through in my past. I know what the numbers say. Right now, you may be struggling with feeling like you were loved, feeling like you were cared for. Maybe struggling with a deep depression, or maybe you have in your past and you just never really dealt with it. It kind of got a little better, but man, it, it flares back up from time to time, and you just want to stay in the bed all day and cry. That's fine. But listen to me. 
You are loved. You are cared for. God, thank you so much that our lives aren't so messy that you won't come down and sit right there with us. But our sadness is not so great that it's just going to rub off on you. You don't want to be around that. God, you can come sit right next to us. And let us know that we are cared for and loved. Thank you for not giving up on us on our darkest of days. And I pray if there's anybody in this room who doesn't even have a, a speckle of hope in their life, first thing they'll do is make sure they know you, our only hope. They will know what you sent your son to do. And that in him, we can have that firm foundation. That Jesus is a way maker, a promise keeper, a miracle worker, a light in our darkest of days. He's there. And even if we can't see it, even if we think we're completely alone in isolation, you are working. And you are there. And I pray there's someone who needs to repent today and turn to you that that will be done. That they'll find me or Connor or Mark or James after this. We'll talk through that. And we'll listen. And we'll pray together. Thanks for your love. Thanks for your forgiveness. Thanks for grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.